Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining today's Ask the Expert webinar, Managing Aligner Tracking Issues, Tips and Techniques for Keeping Treatment on Course with Dr. Douglas Brandt. It is now my distinct pleasure to introduce today's speaker, Dr. Douglas Brandt. Dr. Brandt is the Staff Orthodontic Manager at Align Technologies Treatment Facility in Costa Rica. He has been in private practice for the last 25 years and has a large adult patient base. Involved in orthodontic and occlusion education on both the undergraduate and graduate levels, he is on the cutting edge of the latest technologies. Dr. Doug Brandt received his DMD from the University of Saskatchewan and his MS and Certificate in Orthodontics from the University of Detroit. So without further ado, I'll turn the program over to Dr. Doug Brandt. Dr. Brandt, you now have the floor. Thank you very much. It's great to be here this morning and uh, look forward to sharing with you as much as I can in terms of tips and techniques for keeping Invisalign aligners on course. First of all, one of the people I'd like to thank most of all is uh, Dr. Carol Miranda. She works very closely with me in Align Technology uh, down in uh, Costa Rica and helped me instrumental in putting together this presentation. Most certainly there are going to be statements and views and opinions that are expressed by me that uh, may not be exactly what the, the company in, in terms of follows, but most certainly I'm going to be uh, you know, giving you my ideas in any ways on tracking issues. So how many times have you seen a lateral incisor, as you see here, that isn't fitting into the aligners the way you would have expected? And most certainly if that happens in the middle of a treatment and has not been planned upon, it can most create some issues and you need to figure out exactly what you're going to do. So this is what I call an unplanned reaction. Oftentimes there will be a tendency to sort of hold treatment at this stage and try and get that tooth to fit back into the aligners. As you can see in this case right here in the below image, there's buttons and elastics that were placed to help and try and extrude and bring that tooth down into position. But most certainly that's what we would call an unplanned reaction does take you away from the regular course of treatment and all the different effects that happen with that. So what are the probable root causes of something like that? Well, one of them could be lack of interproximal space, and we talk about that all the time. If we don't have space to move the teeth into, most certainly the, uh, you know, the aligners are going to stop seating, they're going to stop fitting properly, and the tooth just isn't going to move in there. So interproximal space could be one of the reasons. Another thing could be that we just lost uh, in, you know, engagement in the attachment and it became disengaged and we know all the possible causes and effects of that where the aligner could be actually pushing on an inappropriate position on that attachment. So a lot of times people will clean off the attachment and then start you know, trying to go to the reaction that we're going to talk about. Or it could be that the tooth is just mo maybe moving too quickly for whatever reason the way it was planned in there. And so no matter what, you have to decide, are you going to take a reaction to that or what are you going to do about it? And of course the reactions could be buttons and elastics. You could uh, retract, you go back to the best seat in the liner and see if that is actually going to uh, you know, fit in there and maybe then you can continue to grab that attachment and try and bring it down, get down. Or a lot of times in the middle of treatment you may take some new impressions and do a mid-course correction. So these unplanned reactions are something that we like to avoid because it does affect the treatment in all different aspects. So regardless of which decision you make, uh, you know, the in it's inconvenient and costly to do that. So as you can see, buttons and elastics, you have to go in. You've got to use, you know, different materials. Most certainly that costs time and money. You've got to trim the aligners. Many times the attachment is cleaned off, so you've 
completely disregarded, disregarded the attachments, and you have to bond buttons and elastics. How long does it take is all depends on each individual tooth, the direction of the pull, how accurate in terms of placing the button and elastic. So as you can see, there's a lot of variables that play into this type of, uh, you know, a, a part of the course in terms of you decide to take this course in, in treatment. Uh, backing back to the best seating aligner, as you can see in the bottom image there, you know, which aligner fits best? Does it fit around all the teeth? That takes up a lot of time, too, because many times those aligners have been worn for two weeks, sometimes even three weeks, and have lost some of their ability to, to move teeth. So both of those different aspects could be, you know, less than ideal depending on the individual case. Most certainly it does work at times, and there are always going to be times when you're going to need to use that. And a mid-course correction, again, it requires more material in terms of impressions, and it may not be that you, you know, because both arches, are you going to decide to do something in both arches? Again, just a lot of variability involved in that. So at least from the research that I've done with practitioners, by number of calls that I made, talked to, you know, quite a few hundred people, given a number of courses on this, and asked them, you know, if you did go to buttons and elastics or best seating aligner, what are your chances of avoiding a mid-course correction? And most of them say, you know, to be honest with you, to get that tooth to fit ideally, it probably happens about 10% of the time, 90% of the time, I still need to go in and, and take some new impressions and sort of what we would call reconfigure the treatment. And, of course, all of that plays a very important part in your office. It throws things off a little bit, the team members. It just adds up time and time management and affects the growth that takes place in the practice. So, if anything, we want to avoid all of those different aspects. So today, my main goal is to actually try and get you to think more about planning, to try and avoid and or lessen the impact of the bumps along the road. Most certainly, there's bumps along the road, but you want to be ready for them. They don't want to be unplanned, they want to be planned. So today, I'm going to focus most of my lecture on being proactive. We're going to look at how can we actually engage these teeth in the aligners in the most appropriate way, rather than trying to be reactive and stepping back in the treatment. One of the things I've done, because I know a lot of you may be here asking, you know, how do I actually do something? What about this individual situation like I have? What happens if I've got an aligner that doesn't seat? What happens if I do have a, a lateral that doesn't extrude? What happens if I've got all of the anterior teeth that aren't seating properly in the aligners? What do I do? So to add to this, what we've done is we've put together a PDF file that you'll be able to download as well and to get all that information on sort of these one-offs on these non-planned reactions. But today I want to spend most of my time talking about planned reactions. So we don't want to be reactive, we want to be proactive. We don't want a lot of question marks. We want to know going into treatment that this is where we should be at this stage and we should be able to, if we need to do anything in terms of like running elastics as you can see here in this situation where we're trading a class two and actually retracting the anterior teeth and we need the rubber bands or elastics to help us in anchorage, we want to make sure that that's planned into treatment. We don't want to wait till the end of treatment or even mid-treatment and realize that maybe while we're trying to move the upper back teeth back, the front teeth were moving forward. So planning that in your treatment ahead of time is going to allow you to be most efficient and effective in, in everything. Another situation which we may not think about as being planned, having a planned reaction is interproximal reduction in attachments. 
that is really, along with the elastics, these are all things that have been proved, improved upon tremendously at Align Technology. At one time, we used to have to put all kinds of cut into the liners. At one time, we used to have to figure out sort of when we wanted to do a lot of the IPR. Now we're able to, it's planned into the software, planned in the access for the IPR. The attachments that we use are all geared towards each individual tooth. So most certainly, a lot of this is, all, a lot of this is already, you're just sitting back in the driver's seat. But you want to know when it's happening. You want to know during your ClinCheck stage of what is taking place so that you're able to react at that time in a planned way. So to be proactive, you need to understand these tooth movement principles with Invisalign aligners. And these are the most, this is the keystone, this is the foundation of what I'm going to be talking about for the rest of the presentation. Number one. Applying a pushing force on unlimited tooth surfaces. And the, I'd like to add in here the last two words, as required. In other words, where we don't want to push, we don't need to. Wherever we want to push, we should have that capability. We should be able, the aligner should be adapting as much as possible around those teeth. So I'm going to show you an example of that shortly, but that's a very, very important point. The second one is that multiple tooth movements can be performed at one time. It's not like we have to break out the movements. At one time when we were using the liners a long time ago, we used to sort of break out the movements, which made the treatment a lot longer and actually were less effective in moving the teeth. So, you know, being able to apply torque, rotation, leveling, all of those at the same time makes a huge difference in how effective the tooth movements are going to be in keeping us on track. And the third one, which is, you know, probably gets us the most excited, is that we're able to actually calculate force levels and adjust it as needed for each tooth and for multiple teeth within optimal biological levels. So, in other words, how many times are we trying to muscle teeth around and the biology, the periodontal ligament space, the bone is just not reacting the way it should be, throwing us off track. So the first principle, when you look at it from this point of view, and the example that I use here is one that we're going to look at shortly in a clinical way, but as you can see, the more we can adapt to those teeth, we can move those teeth anywhere we want to. So you can see that there's attachments on the teeth, and of course, when aligners are adapted to the tooth surface, most certainly they're not poured around the teeth. The material is adapted through a process of adaptation through air, and it's adapting as best as it can. So the better we can allow or more space or areas that the, tooth, that the aligner can actually attach to or adapt to, much better tooth movement we're going to get. The multiple tooth movements that you see here, you can see things happening on each individual tooth. And I'm going to go into this greater detail, and we're going to look at a still image in a minute. But as you can see, you can see that there's rotation happening, where using the superimposition tool, for any of you that aren't familiar with it, you can see the blue is the before and the white is after. In other words, the position the tooth is moving, it sort of moves without side of that sort of blue skin or that blue film, and that's what's happening. So you can see there's rotation. And if you look down at the gingival margins, which is very important, you can also see that there is root movements happening. We did not move the teeth on the right side, the right side, which means we don't have to move every single tooth. We can actually you know, decide which teeth that are in good occlusion that we don't need to move and use the other ones as anchorage. Force level number three, which, like I said, it gets us very, very exciting, is that we are actually able to 
go in there and simulate through software the forces and the different types of things that we can do to the, either the aligner or we can actually add on to the two so that the aligner can grab hold of it. By, need, by being able to go in there and actually make these changes very, very quickly through the software, we can make changes that can happen sometimes take years or multiple years in typical orthodontics. We can change those. We can adjust those. We can adapt to those very quickly. And whatever we find that works well in the software, most certainly then we go and bench test it. And we've got an apparatus that can go in and look at each individual tooth movement that we thought would be effective, that at least the software indicated would be a great way to go. Then we can test that before it ever goes clinically. So by the time you get something incorporated into the aligners, you, it has gone through an, you know, a very uh, extensive process of software and uh, bench testing to make sure that what you get is going to be effective in the mouth. So let me show you a case example because I think this case is very remarkable in terms of how these principles were incorporated. If we look at the records and we look at this is a case that, as you can see, is just finished or was actually in some orthodontic treatment where they were trying to open up spaces for implants. So if you look at the case, you can see that in terms of occlusion, at least from what we can see in the images, the occlusion isn't bad. The overbite is reasonably good. In fact, if you look down at the crown level, there looks like there may be enough space or there should be enough space to you know, place a, an implant or to be able to place a crown in that area. But if we have a closer look at the radiographs, you can see very quickly that the cuspid and central incisor roots are converging toward each, each other. Even though the panoramic x-ray isn't perfect in terms of the best representation of looking at root position, you can see from the periapical x-rays, there's no way in the world we're going to be able to get an implant in between those roots. So. Uh, this case was brought to me and to my attention. It was a case that was treated by Dr. Janice Grossman, but it was a case that I helped set up and I said, hey, let's just incorporate all these tooth principles that we just talked about into this case and let's see what the aligners can do on their own by themselves. So most certainly we had full confidence if we're able to do this and it's programmed into the system. And if we can do it in this situation, then just you can translate that in any tooth movement that you think is required. So just to give you an idea, here's the ClinCheck, the initial stage, the beginning stage. And I just drew some yellow lines here to indicate where the roots are. So most certainly you can see where the central incisor roots are very, very distally inclined. The cuspid roots are measly inclined. And if you look at the occlusal view, you can see the same thing. If you draw a line down the long axis of the crown. Even though you're not able to all the time see roots, you can use the ClinCheck by drawing imaginary lines to find out where you're actually in the process. So if we look at this, you know, the positions of these teeth right now, they're nowhere near we want where we want them to be. We want both of those roots to be separated. We want them to be divergent. We want them to be as parallel as we can have them. So here's the projected ClinCheck. As you can see, we've got the central incisors. The way I drew the lines was kind of our ideal position, but we even actually added in a little bit of overcorrection. You'll see what happened clinically. So we actually added in a little bit more mesial root movement on those centrals. Look how much angulation we changed on the cuspids. And of course, what you should see on those cuspids is them joining into a nice V-shaped over in the lower left-hand corner. 
So right here is what we did. We just went in, and as you can see here, these are just some roots that I put on there for demonstration purposes. They're not real, but they give us an idea if we project those up from the crown, actually what type of tooth movement we should have on that case. Same thing if we look at the central incisors. Look how much root movement. And trying to hold, you can see on the right-hand side, we're bringing the occlusion down at the same time just to sock in the occlusion, making some minor adjustments on the lower anterior, and really concentrating all our forces on those roots of those teeth. This is the left-hand side, and you can see it shows it very nicely. See how it's pivoting towards, so the center of rotation is at the incisal edge, not at the root position. So having, being able to control the crown completely and having only root movement with the size of the roots that we have, it's quite a challenging movement. Let's see how well the liners did. So if we look at here, again, the goal is to be able to take these roots and have them in the position that I pointed here. And as we follow through this, you'll see how that, that took place. So again, just to give you an idea, looking at the clincheck, you can see we're pushing on those teeth. We're able to create the space around them, pushing on attachments, pushing on the mesial, the distal surfaces of the centrals, I mean, on the mesial surfaces of the cuspids. And so it's very interesting to see that take place. Now, if we look at what happened in this case, and we look a little bit more closely, you can wonder, why did they make those pontics smaller than the interproximal space? For a very important reason. If we had filled those spaces with the pontics, most certainly the aligners would not have been able to adapt interproximally as they did. And not having that adaptation could make a huge difference in terms of how we're going to move those, especially in this situation where we don't want any crown movement other than maybe separating the crowns a bit, but we don't want the crowns to be changing in terms of angulation. We really want it to be all root movement. And here's a very important point. You can see how what we did on that left cuspid. We did it on the right side, too, but I only show it on the left side, where we took that cuspid and we actually moved the crown over top of the measly inclined root, creating space on the distal so the aligner could go in there. As you can see, not much space is needed. It's not like we've got to go in there and open a millimeter of space. It's a very small space, but it does allow the aligners to go in adapt better to the tooth, adapt better to the attachment, and make the tooth movements that we need. So again, point number two, you can see right here, again, if we look at the white as the after and the blue as before, you can see how the, even the checkerboard appearance that we have, you can see there's rotation up at the gingival margin, you can see there's been root movements. All of those things are taking place at the same time. We are not breaking out those movements, which makes it more efficient treatment. And if we look at the staging panel, and you guys can find that over in your treatment overview, if you go up and open up that on the right-hand side, you can go in there and actually see which teeth are moving. And, of course, looking at those bars on the right-hand side, the posterior teeth are moving in the beginning. They finish moving, and the teeth that need the most movement are the ones that are lasting or taking the longest period of time and finishing right to the end, the central incisors and the cuspids. So at six months, what did we happen? I mean, we needed to find out. Is this actually working? And, of course, you can see what's happening. Here's the clincheck on the left-hand side that shows you at six months where we should be. And so the white is the after, and you can see some of the rotation, some of the root uprighting. And then if you look down at the periapicals, you can see how the space is increasing very nicely. In fact, on the left side, where we I just showed you where we had that space, we almost have parallelism. The right side is following high, behind just a little bit more. So if we look at this right now and we look at the end of it, the treatment, total treatment time is 13 months. 
the before, if we took the implant and tried to put it into that original position, of course, that wouldn't work. And both of those the implants would not fit on either side. But as you can see in the lower screen, the after now allows us an awful lot of room in there to go in, take our implants, put them in their appropriate positions, and let them be there, let them get to the position where we can actually do the restorative treatment. So from the panoramic x-ray, it's remarkable. Seriously, this is one of the cases when I, when I see this and realize that we can actually move roots as effectively as this. And look at the overbite. The overbite wasn't effective. It's not like we've got to take the central incisors, and while we're trying to make those root uprighting, they're not getting pushed forward, getting pushed up. Everything is dead on. The midlines are still exactly where they are. The cuspid positions are a little bit distal to give us more space, so we've got more space between the centrals and the cuspids. So this is planned reactions. These are planned things that we plan into the treatment so we know where we're heading in that direction. And at Invisalign, the nice thing is we put together all kinds of different tools to help you look at the cases, diagnose them, understand what's going on, so you can do these planned reactions ahead of time and not have to go back and do unplanned reactions. What would happen the last time if we didn't create space around the teeth? If we started, if we didn't put attachments on those teeth, do you think we would be, have enough tooth surface to push on? Would we get the tooth movement we need? Probably not. And then we would be deciding, trying to decide to do something else. So let's go, when I, when I was putting together this presentation, I had to look at sort of what are the top things that I want to get across to you that I think are most important that are going to keep you on track. And you can see them listed here, and we're going to go through each one of them. Initial bite set is, is very critical. Root movements, of course. If we don't understand that root movements are taking place, then we could get stuck along the way. Something that you may not be familiar with is two-size discrepancy. Many times we're making tooth movements to compensate where there's a two-size discrepancy where the case could have been treated much more effectively if we'd have done it that way. And, of course, attachments, interproximal space. And the last one, which, again, something like two-size that you may not have been uh, too uh, uh, aware of, is interincisal angle plays a very important role in this. So let's look at bite setting. What I want to do is give you some tips. What, time, what happens many times is, depending on how the photographs are taken, sometimes the photographs are apart where they bite, aren't biting on their back teeth, so it's very, very important, because this is used very effectively at line technology, to set up the, the cases, we want to make sure that the initial bite set is right. So what we find is very helpful is using articulating paper and taking our buckle shots at 90 degrees. Why is that important? Well, I'm going to show you shortly that changing the angle of the shot makes a huge difference on how the bite may appear to you, not to us, because we use marks on the teeth. We use our software is able to actually calculate all of that. But it's nice to have these things built into our images, built into the photos that you send so that we don't mistake what we're trying to do in each case. So if you look at the anterior view, you can look at the midline. So this is what you want to do. You always want to compare your photos with your ClinCheck model. Make sure the midlines are exactly where they are. Make sure that the buckle shots, look at the cusp tip of the cuspid, look at where it is in the photo, and that'll let you know that at least we're starting from the right spot. So we're not moving teeth in the wrong direction, not, caught in, not having us go into sort of mid-course correction or even trying to use other things to correct it. Because sometimes it'll look like it's class two, as you can see here, at 45 degrees is a whole different than if you look at 90 degrees. 90 degrees, the cuspid is slightly class 2. The first by is slightly class 2. The molar is class 1. 
But most certainly, if we were going really shooting for class one cuspid and bicuspid, it would require smoothing those teeth back. The original photographs indicate that no, we're in perfect classification, perfect position. The anterior overjet view also is very important because it gives us a good idea that the anterior contact is really an anterior stop. So by looking at the anterior overjet view on your cling check, you can go in and you'll be able to determine that there's an interocclusal contact point and you can see that those teeth are touching in that area. You're able to also look at midlines looking at that area and that's going to help you as well be able to see what's going on. If for whatever reason you aren't able to get us the photographs that you need and the right angles and whatever, you can always send to us some photos of study models. And these study models have been prepared. These are ones that we've gone in and we've actually used occlusal articulating paper and we've done some scribe lines to, know, to show exactly where the midlines are, exactly where the cuspids line up, where both arches fit together. So that does help you get things in the right position. I use this example here where you can see how the patient is biting forward. In other words, there's premature anterior contacts, and if we set the bite appropriately or according to this, that would make a big difference in the treatment plan. So because if you used articulating paper, we would be able to actually go in and make sure that even though you had set the bite or the patient was biting forward in the buckle shots, we'd be able to use the occlusal views to go back in and make sure we have it set up that way in your ClinCheck model. Just by doing this is going to save you a tremendous amount of time and effort, and of course that all boils down to, to money in the practice. So the bite set set on inaccurate photographs makes a big difference, much better intercuspation, less tooth movements. Probably we don't need movements like um, IPR or we don't need things like um, extrusion, tooth movements that again could throw us off track. And these are just some things that in, inaccurate bite set can lead you in all kinds of different directions that are unplanned. You can, you know, most certainly if you have occlusal problems at the end, that's not what you want. It could mean more refinements, could mean trying to run up and down elastics, could mean trying to make AP, all kinds of things that we really don't want. Midline shifting, unnecessary IPR, unnecessary tooth movements, wasted time. So let's now look at the second in terms of root movement. You need to understand where and the type of movement that's taking place. So how do we use the clean check to do that? Well, let's first of, talk, first of all talk about relative movements. Most certainly if we can take teeth and tip them in and out and get the same changes aesthetically as well as functionally, that's going to be our best, easiest, and most stable results. Anytime we've got to go in there and start to do pure extrusion like you see at the bottom, the top is relative extrusion. Even though it looks like we've got a difficult case, that space around the teeth up there it allows the aligners to grab them. In fact, as you're, you're probably thinking that maybe we could move the centrals together a little bit and create some space around the uh, distal of them and be able to grab those teeth, especially if we were trying to, to do the bottom where we're doing pure extrusion, we could use those principles. But having that space in there and bringing those teeth back in can close an open bite quite nicely. If on the, like in the lower image where we actually went in and did pure extrusion, that's a much more uh, tricky type of movement. So when you see this case right here, because those teeth cannot be retracted, there is no overjet, there is no anterior spacing, most certainly a lot of it's going to be done through pure extrusion. If we do it through pure extrusion, it's going to be, you know, we want to plan that into our treatment. We may actually create some space around the teeth so that we can grab them. The type of attachments that we're going to use, which we're going to talk about shortly, it makes a big difference too. 
And what's the nice thing, though, is a lot of this is built into the system now. The attachments are placed at the appropriate times, the appropriate attachment. So it's not like you have to determine that. You need to just to make sure that you understand what you see on the screen. So using these tools can help you very, very effectively in picking out what's, what's happening on the case. So if we look at an individual patient right here, one of our patients, and we look at where we are, how do you know which teeth are difficult tooth movements? How do you know which ones are going to be challenging? You need to be able to look at your initial photographs, get an idea like on that upper right-hand side in the occlusal view, you can see that we got a bunch of rotated teeth due to a lost molar, previously lost molar. So most certainly, those are the areas that you're going to know that there's probably going to be some difficult movements, but sometimes there's other areas that you didn't realize that the ClinCheck's going to help you. So the first tool you want to use looking at root movements, you want to bring up your superimposition tool. That's going to go in and actually color all the teeth. It's going to shade all the teeth. It's going to give you sort of your original position, as you see down in the lower, where there's 21 stages in this treatment. At stage zero, before we ever start, now those teeth have got this special coloring or coating that allows you to see what the teeth are doing. So if we look at the sort of the final stage now, this is what you want to do when you have your ClinCheck. You go in, use the superimposition tool, then go to the final stage and have a look at your ClinCheck. And as you can see, the white is the final stage, the white is the after. In other words, what's happening to those teeth? You can see that the uprighting on the maxillary left central incisor, we've got an attachment on there. Do we have interproximal space? Are we going to be able to grab that tooth and move it in the right position? Do you think we need to go in there and make a little space around the teeth? Remember, this case did have some space distal to the upper left lateral. So if we needed to, if we felt we had a, not a lot of root movement in there, most certainly that could be could be placed in there. But I think, as you can see, there's a black triangle. There is a lot of interproximal spaces. So probably in that maxillary arch, the aligner and the shapes and the size of the crown, because you've got long crowns, just having the attachments that we have there should be appropriate. At least that's what I felt. I didn't need it on the other teeth. But you can see how the bodily movement, anytime you look at the gingival margin, and you can see blue at that area, that's the original. And if you look afterwards, you can see kind of what's taking place on the teeth. So root torque, rotation, all of those different movements you can see on your superimposition tool. So as I pointed out here, does the right central also need an attachment? No, because I think that interproximal space, the anatomy of the crowns, and I don't want too many attachments on the case, I'm going to stick with the ones that have the most amount of root movement on the maxillary right central and lateral incisor. If you don't plan this ahead of time, and you can do these imaginary lines, which I do on either your study models or even on the ClinCheck, you can go in there, you can print it out, you can draw some lines and look at it and decide whether you want to use any attachments in there. Very nice buckle shot to show root movement. Look at the anterior part. Look at the maxillary central incisors. You can see how much bodily retraction was done in those cases. So most certainly that's where you'd be looking for other things and see do we have enough control of those teeth? Do we need attachments? Probably not, but at least you're going to be able to see that there is bodily retraction. You're ready for it. You know what to expect in the treatment. You can play it now through the staging and see exactly when that starts to take place. So it's just important to know all that ahead of time. Because many times, like on this case, because we were retracting those maxillary central incisors and we wanted to control the roots, automatically there was power ridges placed. 
We did not have to prescribe those. Those were placed by the software so that you're ready now. But at least you know they're there. You know that it's something that's built into the aligner, and that is going to affect the tooth movement. So having that in place, you know at least you've got the comfort that at a certain stage, and you can see that there's a certain stage that they start at stage 9. So at stage 9, you want to make sure that that's built into the aligners. You're going to be following it now for the next five stages or the next five aligners. The lower end sizers, this is an interesting. So when you look at the tooth movements, the amount of tooth movements down there, most of it is intrusion, or some of it's intrusion anyways, and what's... You can see the attachments on the back teeth to hold the aligner in place, but the amount of intrusion, because the intrusion is actually on the incisal edges, all the forces are on the incisal edges, you don't need to go in there and add any extra attachments. And the interproximal spaces around there, it's very nice because we have black triangles which are working to our advantage. They're going to be able to grab those teeth interproximally and make the tooth movements we need without placing attachments. You can also use the grid, as you can see here. It'll give you linear measurements. It'll give you an idea. You can bring it up. You can bring it forward. You can look at different types of spaces. There's a number of reasons, but it can be used in terms of determining root movements of what angle we're at, how much linear movement do you think you're actually going to get. And many of you probably aren't that familiar or you don't bring it up every time, but please do look at the movement assessment tool. That's going to go in there. And in this case right here, we had some tooth movements on teeth that we knew we needed to be proactive on. So in other words, when we went in and used the TMA, it helps us quantify what you see. Black is most certainly we're getting into the more difficult movements, and blue means you've really got to be ready for it. So in order to be ready for it, we need to plan ahead, as it says on the bottom of the screen. And built into this young fellow's treatment, we're actually going to be using some buttons and elastics during those rotational movements and help those teeth move. So this is what we call planned reactions rather than trying to just use the aligners in themselves and attachments. And we are being proactive and being able to make sure that the tooth movements built into the aligners, the teeth that are going to continue to fit in the aligners, by applying them. So you can see in the upper before the aligners are in, what we're trying to do is we're going to try and rotate that bicuspid. And we're actually, while the space is being created, the cuspid, once there's space, the cuspid is moving back a bit. The molar's going to, we're going to be rotating that molar because eventually that molar's coming forward. So all of that was built into the treatment. So what happens if you don't build it into the treatment? So what I'm going to do now is I'm just going to show you a case here which was treated as a midline diastema. And most certainly when you draw some scribe lines along your photographs, you can see the areas of concern. I want to point out on the upper left-hand side in the maxillary occlusal view, if you look at the lateral incisors, you can see that they look a little smaller than average. And the many times when you have a midline diastema like this, you usually do have a smaller than average lateral, especially if there's some lower anterior crowding. But look at the molars. Because the first molars were previously extracted, we've got second molars in the place of the first molars. The anatomy of the, first, of the second molars, they only fit. Why did they come into crossbite? Because that's the only way they fit in the arch. So trying to correct those teeth, we did it. We did it on the computer. It created all kinds of interferences. It created, if we did create space for like a first molar, we'd have to restore the teeth anyway. So the decision was to leave them in because they functioned fine where they were at. But if you don't take into account those principles we talked about, most certainly you could run into where you may have to be more reactive than proactive. So as you can see on this clean check here, what I want you to see is you're going to say, well, you got attachments. Yes, we had attachments. But look at the clinical crowns. And this case was treated some time ago, so it's not like this is one with all the new features. 
But look at what's happened to those central incisor crowns. We did not upright the roots. We did not try and use the crown and pivot the root around the crown like I showed you. Those crowns are moving from stage one, which means because the roots are distal and the crowns are mesial, if you start any crown movement in the beginning, you are going to lose those roots and you're going to end up once they start tipping. So that was what was built into this ClinCheck, and you'll see kind of what happened. Here's a case refinement. So same thing. What I should have done is I should have gone in and actually started to upright those roots over the crowns. Try and get the roots ahead of the crowns or at least in a better position rather than trying. And I probably should have used those smaller-than-average spaces around the laterals to create a pushing force on the distal of those teeth. If I knew then what I know now, most certainly I would have done it differently. So if we look at the root causes, crowns moving mesial from the beginning, timing of the attachments, you see how they were placed on the third? So anybody that's placing your attachments, that's kind of all built into the system now. In other words, we're trying, but sometimes you're going to see teeth that will start to tip into a space without the attachments. So depending on the case, you may want to place those attachments right from the beginning. Because right from this case, I would have gone and made sure I had them right from the beginning and started to try and make some of that root movement more than crown movement. And again, just lack of pushing forces. So reactive was refinement, auxiliary techniques. Being proactive means we could go in and change the staging. We can place attachments from the start of the treatment. We can create space on the distal of those central incisors to get the tooth movements that we need. So this is the refinement here, and as you can see on the staging panel on the right, even though we did change how the pattern that we were moving those teeth, we still started the crowns moving forward first, and that probably what lost. So again, I just point out right now a little bit about two-size discrepancy. We're going to talk about a little bit more later on, but this case did have a two-size discrepancy that should have, if we had this information, right, at that time we didn't. If we'd have had this information, we would have built it into our system. So here's what happened. I mean, the space did close, but as you can see, we ended up with tipping of the teeth, and now we're going to go into a reactive process of running elastics in that area. And we know it works, but most certainly, if that wasn't planned into the treatment, how much time, effort, and whatever does it take to get those teeth moved? So moving just roots now at this stage and pivoting around the crowns requires more than if we'd have built it into the system. And this is just an example. That's not that same case, but that's what we're doing on the other case. This was where the same thing, the crowns tipped and went into a reactive buttons and elastic situation, actually elastic chain, and that was placed. So a case that we're just going to work on right now, which is a much less of a space between the central incisors, but you're going to see how we're proactive in this one. We're most certainly going to go in there and we're going to place those attachments right from the beginning. We're going to move those teeth. There's no tipping. We're going to move those teeth bodily together. The space is much less than the last case I showed you. But we're going to make sure that we're doing intrusion, whatever we can, to make sure that we don't run into any concerns along the way. And if we look at the anterior view and we look at the amount of root movement, you can see the maxillary right central a left central incisor has almost all of the movement. There's a little bit in terms of the left central, but it's really confined. And look at the amount of actually movement of the lower anteriors, where those teeth are being brought back so that we can actually close the space in the upper. Here's the most important part about this case. This case in here has bodily retraction of the upper anteriors. If we didn't retract them bodily and just tip them in, we would never be able to close that space. 
So again, drawing scribed lines along your teeth, understanding where the root positions are, knowing the anatomy. As you can see, these are worn down on the mesial. So knowing those teeth are worn down on the mesial means we're going to not try and level those incisal edges because the teeth, the, the uh, roots will be in the wrong position. What we're going to do is bring those teeth together, maybe end up smoothing them down, maybe some restorative. We're not sure exactly, but we do have some restorative built into it. But here from this occlusal view, look at this. The white is the after, the blue is the before. And you can see, how much blue do you see on the lingual? Nothing. Those teeth are strict bodily retraction. That's the only way we're able to close those the spaces, no tipping, and end up in the proper position. So a lot of times people don't look at two-size discrepancy. And if we don't look at two-size discrepancy, we can end up somewhat like this. This is a previously treated orthodontic case that came to me. One of the first cases that I ever treated, and because I had to go in and actually do a lot of extra work on models to figure out two-size discrepancy, this case was previously treated orthodontically, not by me, but because the patient couldn't really get their teeth to fit together, they went into this postured position, and as you can see, biting in this spot. You can see all kinds of wear on the teeth, lower anterior crowding, and if we look at it closely now, maybe we can, with our eyes, say those lateral incisors are smaller than average. But knowing the two size discrepancy ahead of time, I don't think this case would have been finished the way it was orthodontically, and it would have probably been finished the way we did with the Invisalign. So because the patient had had headaches 365 days of the year, we went in and used a splint to get rid of the headaches and to find out where the mandible was actually supposed to go. So you can see that's where the mandible repositioned, and now it became an easy case where we needed to procline the anteriors. But if we procline the anteriors, it was going to leave us with space. And, of course, you can see those upper lateral incisors are smaller than average. This is after six months with Invisalign, and we're able to establish a good overbite and actually a good anterior inclination of the teeth. And you can see the lower anteriors aligned. This treated a long time ago, as you can see, with those ellipsoid attachments. But at that time, we even knew that we were grabbing hold of something. We were able to, you know, using them, I used it on the buccal and lingual in that upper right cusp, but just to get root control. Did the restorations, and as you can see, a nice result, which is very, very stable. Another situation where the two-size discrepancy wasn't in the anterior. It was in the lateral incisor, but it was also in the posterior. So that's why I show the bicuspids, because sometimes... When we're setting up cases, we want a specific arch form. And prescribing that specific arch form, that specific arch form means that the technician may create interferences that will affect your treatment, and you may have to be proactive. Maybe not right now, but you may have to be after the treatment in terms of equilibration or more refinements. What I'm trying to say here is that we need to look at buccolingual, mesial, distal. We need to look at the anatomy of teeth. Because in this case right here, we actually, before the restorations were done, you can see in the final occlusion, you can see that the bicuspids on the upper right-hand side, there's a step into that first bi. Why? Because that first bicuspid only fits best with the lower arch. The occlusion is perfect, as you can see in the buckle shot, by having that arch form adjusted slightly for this patient. So two-size discrepancy really boils down to having the right treatment for every patient. And that's the beauty of Invisalign, at least the way I look at it, is that I can go in there and I can say, I don't need to have a perfect arch form that doesn't fit. I'll have an arch form that fits perfectly that will actually look great as well as be more stable down the road. So if you don't take into account two-size discrepancy, you can run into all kinds of things. And this is what we found is over-retraction of anterior teeth, 
where you end up with only anterior prematurities because all the upper anteriors were small or for whatever reason compromised aesthetics. Many times it's over-retraction of closing spaces where the teeth are small and less than ideal occlusion. And then, of course, you're going to deal with this for a long time. So stability, retention, I mean, just trying to think ahead, plan ahead is very important. Attachments. One thing I can tell you, and I think that the, you know, the more we, we talk to everybody out there and the more these optimized attachments are in place, everybody seems to think that they're doing a great job. Again, you can't throw out the other principles I talked about. You still need space around the teeth. You still need all of those other things. But I think going with the default optimized attachments, even in this past couple of years, year and a half, have made a huge, huge difference in the tooth movement. So attachments have played a very important part. And, of course, if we'd have had the right attachments, the timing of attachments is also important. So you have to be thinking about each individual case, the type of attachment, because there are times where we don't program in rectangular attachments for space closure right now. So built into the system is tooth movements to give you an idea of closing the space, how it takes place. You need to go in and decide by looking at your ClinCheck, do you need rectangular attachments on those cases? And if you do, especially in situations like this where you've got, you need control right from the beginning, you may want to think about putting those on right at, at the stage one or right at the beginning of treatment. Most certainly now you guys know that there are all kinds of interfaces, and if you're not familiar with these, you can go online and learn about those very quickly. And as we get further and further down into with Invisalign, I'm assuming that, that this is going to become more important because there's an interface that you can go in and actually do your own attachment uh, selection and be able to put them on the teeth. The other nice thing is this gets transferred directly into your your uh, file and into the case, and so it's it's not uh, tech technician dependent. You are able to, to do what you want. So if you don't know much about the interfaces, it's a way of being able to go in there, understand them. Again, I'm not going to uh, talk a lot about that today because that's not what the focus is. But the focus is to be proactive. These interfaces allow you to be proactive. You do not have to be reactive. It's not like, oh, I forgot about those. So in every case that you have space closure, any case that you look at your case and you think you have root movements, go into this interface. You can always put them on. You can always take them off at later after, if, while you're in the ClinCheck before you've approved your treatment. ClinCheck treatment plan. So it's really important to understand what's going on. Of course, just going to put a little plug in here for Invisalign G4 that's coming because a lot of the things I talked about, you're going to say, hey, this looks exactly like what you were talking about. Rather than having interproximal spaces, rather than creating spaces, taking more time, more liners, how about if we just apply those forces on the two surface in the appropriate positions? So please join us on that uh, Ask the Expert uh, call coming up in October and learn more about what's happening in the attachment world because I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to really help us. And again, it's not like there's going to be there for every situation, so you still need to understand what I'm talking about today, but there's going to be situations where this will be taken care of for you. Interproximal space, I don't need to spend a lot of time on this. We've, I think people have heard a lot about this. But how are we proactive? How can you be proactive in interproximal space? Well, when you're looking at your ClinCheck, you know that we've changed how we stage things so that we're not asking you to go in and do interproximal reduction when you don't have access. So we're, we're giving you at least room to go in there. 
we're giving you the timing. We're able to go in there and say, okay, let's assume then at liner 15 now, that lateral, the cuspid has been moved back, the central incisor has been moved forward or over to the side, whatever is built into the ClinCheck, it doesn't mean we've got to have a bunch of interproximal space. It doesn't mean you've got to create spaces around all the teeth and not be inefficient. What it does mean is that the system is built into it a lot of times, but you still need to check it. It doesn't hurt, and you're always going to use floss. You're always going to be checking. You're always going to use your clean check to go back and review. Use that as your proactive tool. Don't try and be reactive when things happen. And the last thing I'm going to talk about before I close and we go into questions is interincisal angle. It's kind of a magic position for teeth. Ideally, we want to make sure that we have our interincisal angle set up so that we have contact points on the incisal edges. So why is it so important? Well, it's been a lot of stuff that I've looked at, and when you look at it, there's a close relationship between, between the interincisal angle and the angle of the condylar eminence. So if you think about it, if I can actually move my teeth into a position where I've got contacts on the lingual of my upper incisors and my incisal edges, not on facial surfaces, not on different positions in there, but on the incisal edges, appropriate position, every single patient has different anatomy on the upper and lower lingual and the, and the incisal edges. But there is kind of a magic position for those teeth. It's very, very closely related. People, most people say it's about 80%. If you can set up the interincisal angle, you're going to have great relationship back in the condylar area. So that's why I'm so, so uh, you know, excited about this area and making sure you can look at that in your ClinCheck. You can go in there. The anterior overjet view shows you that. You can look from the lingual. You can also look from the buckle. And aesthetics, of course. We know that teeth that are over-retracted can show all kinds of more gingival display, anything that may not be ideally the way we want it to be. And one of the things that we do know, too, is in retention, even though in retention there are a lot of things that we're not sure about, we do know that interincisal angle is extremely important. A good functional occlusion is much more stable and retentive than one that isn't. So this just gives you an idea, and even though teeth, I remember when in practice a lot of times patients would say, gee, Dr. Brent, it looks like they're kind of a little bit of forward. They almost look like you got a bit of overbite. And so they would look at them, and they would, but when you actually got finished with the treatment, the aligners out or the brackets off or whatever, you would look at those, and most certainly you would, they would never look too full. And it's, it's kind of a magic number. Again, What's good for you may not be good for the next person in terms of interincisal angle, but anything that's over-retracted, as you can see on the right-hand side, that wouldn't be the way to go. And it, most certainly, you know, these are things that are done routinely. You just need to check on your clean checks, but they're most certainly set up many times with an ideal interincisal angle. And this just gives you an indication of good interincisal angle, good contacts, showing them on the lower incisal edges and on the lingual of the uppers. So having that good contact is, is really going to help you in terms of all of your stability, treatment. And you know what's neat about it is that it really actually makes the treatment much easier because it's not like we're going, now that we have the power ranges, now that we have all these different features and are able to build that into the aligners, we can make these tooth movements with a lot of confidence. So being proactive at ClinCheck treatment planning stage can help you keep you and the patient on track, providing you with great, excellent results, 
Um, again, I'm going to point out you'll have that PDF file that you'll be able to download in there, kind of reactive. In other words, unplanned reactions to treatment. What do you do? So you can go in. It's kind of a nice little index. You can go in there and look at the, what's happening in your case and look for a quick fix. But what we're trying to do is make sure that we get rid of the quick, quick fixes and try and build that into the system. Dr. Brandt, thank you very much. It was a great presentation.